Thank you, Troy, and thank you, band. They always do an awesome job leading us every single week. Well, good morning. Great to be with you guys. My name is Reed. For those of you who don't know me, I have the opportunity to preach this morning. Pastor Scott, who uh, normally preaches for us, is out of town uh, this morning, this whole weekend. Uh, the deacons uh, sent him and, uh, and Marcy down to Hilton Head for a weekend for a marriage retreat. So he asked me um, to fill in for him in his absence. So I am grateful for another opportunity to share God's uh, word with you guys. So thank you all for giving me the opportunity to stand before you. And uh, I always enjoy, um, always enjoying the opportunities to preach. So, uh, listen, we've got a lot to, to look at this morning, so let's just jump right to it. Um, as we begin our time this morning, I want to ask you just a very simple question. I want to ask you, has there uh, ever been a time in your life where maybe you have seen, experienced, or been a part of something that was just Unbelievable. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word, like it was hard for you to believe what you just saw, what you just experienced, what you just heard, uh, maybe what you were just a part of. Like you sat back and you thought to yourself, like, did that really just happen? Like what in the world just took place? Did that really just take place? I want to tell you guys about a a time in my life um, where this was the case, kind of a funny story, so... Uh, I'll pick on myself this morning and share a little bit about me. Uh, when I was in second grade, I got myself in trouble pretty frequently in school. And uh, I know that a lot of kids do, but uh, for me, uh, I wasn't a bad kid, but I, I like to talk. I know, shocker, right? So for those of you who have spent any time around me, uh, you know that I, I like to talk. So anyone who uh, finds out, you know, anybody who knows me is not shocked uh, that I've ended up in a profession where verbal communication is central to the job. Um, So, listen, I like to talk a lot, and uh, as most of you know, talking gets you in trouble in school, especially when you're in elementary school. And so, when the teacher was in front of the class, it would be very common for me just to get busted for, you know, talking with my friends or goofing around or whatever. It's just very common. Uh, Now, in today's world, if this is how you act, they say that you have ADD and medicate you. Um, But when I was growing up, that was not the case. They just, you know punished you. You just got in trouble. So uh, that's kind of the situation. I can assure you I didn't have a problem focusing. Uh, There was no trouble there. I was just a kid. I liked to play with my friends. And uh, when I was in school, rather than paying attention like I was supposed to be doing, I'd be goofing around and talking. And so on this one particular day, I'll never forget it. I'd already been busted for talking with one of my friends. We'd been goofing around, uh, not paying attention like we were supposed to be doing. And uh, teacher kind of already gotten on to us a couple times. So finally, She separated us, and I ended up in the back of the class, kind of isolated from the rest of the group. And so now all the other students, they're sitting in their desks, they're facing forward, they're learning what they need to learn in life to be productive in society, and I'm now in the back, all by myself, isolated, sitting in a desk that's facing the wall next to a filing cabinet. So you got the picture, right? You, You see what's happening here. Now, let me time this out really quick. I want to tell you guys about my granddad. Uh, When I was in second grade, I absolutely loved uh, my granddad. I thought my granddad was awesome. And he was. He was very cool. And uh, when we'd go out and visit our grandparents out in Elberton, Georgia, which I'm going to guess that nobody in here has even heard of that town. Well, yeah, that's right. We have a few people. So Um, close to Lake Hartwell, Hartwell, excuse me, uh, and kind of doesn't even really get a dot on the map. It really is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And so when we would go out and visit my grandparents, uh, he would throw all of his grandkids in the car, you know, the one with no seatbelts, 
and uh, drive us around through town. We'd go down dirt roads, have a good time. And then after we were riding around, uh, he'd take us to the local gas station. We could pick out whatever candy we wanted to buy. So, you know, when you're in second grade, that's how you went over, you know, kids, you buy them candy. And so my, my granddad was awesome. We loved, we loved my granddad. And, um, so when I was in second grade, I absolutely uh, wanted to be like my granddad. Well, just like most people in that generation, my granddad loved to smoke. And, and I'm not saying he was some casual smoker. Uh, the man loved his cigarettes. From the time he was 13 until the day he died, he smoked three packs a day. And so he, uh, he smoked a lot. And he actually started smoking when he was 11. He was uh, smoking rabbit tobacco when he was 11, for any of you who know what that is. Uh, but by the time he was 13, he had moved on to the real stuff. And uh, so we're talking like middle school. By the time he is 13 years old until the day he dies... Uh, the, the man is smoking uh, three packs a day. And uh, I don't even have one memory of him uh, without a cigarette in his hand. Um, and the funny thing is, smoking is not even what killed him. Uh, he died in his 70s from a heart problem. So, uh, strange enough. So, here I am, kind of back to my second grade story. Here I am, sitting in my classroom, isolated from the rest of the group, kind of off in this general area. The rest of the group, the rest of the class is up there. I'm staring at the wall, kind of sitting by myself, and I want to be like my granddad. So what do I do? I take my pencil, and I stick it in my mouth. And now, here I am in second grade with an imaginary cigarette in my mouth, right? Life is good. And, and, and I don't know how you guys did things when I was in second grade. It was not cool to have long pencils. When you would open up your pack of pencils, the first thing you did was you, you stuck it in the pencil sharpener, and you grinded it down to where it was about that big. So it was the perfect size. Anybody do that? Am I the only one? Or it's like there are other people who know what I'm talking about. Okay, see, we have a few people who know. Nobody wrote with a a pencil that was like normal pencil size. You grinded it down to where it was about that big. And so here I am with a pencil that's the perfect size. It's the size of a cigarette, and it's in my mouth. And I'm just enjoying this nice, quiet moment. So I'm sitting over here on the side, on the back, facing the wall next to this filing cabinet, enjoying some quiet time puffing on my imaginary Marlboro, right? So, um, like, life is good. And then I took another puff, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. One second the pencil is there, and the next second it is gone. And I am not telling you that, like, it disappeared like some sort of magic trick. I am telling you that I swallowed my pencil, okay? So, like, one minute... The pencil is in my mouth. The next minute, I feel it go down my throat. And I'm sitting there as a second grader who's already in trouble, knowing that I have just messed up. And so I'm sitting there, and I begin to think to myself, you know, oh, junk, what do I do? You know, like, so I have two options. I can either wrap myself out and tell the teacher what I've done and make it worse on myself, or I can play it cool and just hope for the best, right? And so, of course, like any intelligent second grader would do, I freaked out and I turned around and I raised my hand because I was not allowed to talk. She'd already taught me I wasn't allowed to talk anymore. And so I turned around and in my chair, I just raised my hand and stared at my teacher with this sincere look of just panic on my face. And I will never forget what she said to me because it's like it burned into my mind. She looked over at me and with frustration in her voice because she's already irritated that I'm interrupting the class again, looks over at me and she says, what do you want now, Reed? And so I just respond. I just tell her the truth. Miss Mahoney, I have swallowed my pencil. And like any good teacher, 
she freaks out and runs over and she grabs my arm and we go racing up to the front office. I mean, she leaves the whole class behind. Nobody's even watching the class at this point. Races me up to the front office. They come running in the front office with me. She tells the front office what's going on. Front office calls my mom, tells my mom what's going on. Of course, my mom panics. And, uh, and so they tell my mom, listen, you've got like three minutes to get here or we're calling 911 and having an ambulance come to get your son. So my mom comes, you know, she gets there in record time. She comes running in, grabs me by the arm, doesn't even say a word to the office people. I'm talking, she just busts through the school doors, grabs my arm, throws me in the van, and we take off. And at this point, I'm beginning to realize kind of how serious of a situation this is because I have never seen my mom drive like this before. (laughs) On the way to the hospital, we are running every single red light. And I'm like freaking out, okay, because... My mom was kind of a fast driver anyway, but not like this. Like, this was insane. And so we are flying down these roads on the way to the hospital. And she would slow down as we're approaching an intersection, make sure we didn't get T-boned. But, I mean, we're talking like she's going from 70 down to like 40, kind of looking. I mean, we're tearing through these red lights. And so we get to the emergency room. We come flying into the parking lot. We get out and we go running in. And in any big city, so I grew up in Atlanta, and in any, in any big city, emergency rooms are not known for being quick. You guys know this. So, like, if you're going to go to the emergency room, you better pack a lunch. Uh, you're going to be there for seven or eight hours before they even take you back. And so we go running in, and the, we run straight up to the counter, and my mom just tells them, listen, my son has swallowed a pencil. And that day, I got to jump straight to the front of the line. Like, there are people in the waiting room with broken arms and broken legs, and I get to jump straight past all of them. They take me to the back put me in a room, they page the doctors, and the doctors are on their way down. And uh, the doctors come walking in the room, and for them, this is one of those moments where they have to, you know, ask themselves, like, is this real? Like, this is one of those unbelievable moments for them. Like, this is not something that you uh, plan for or prepare for in med school. Like, this is not, like, turn to page 46, and we're going to teach you what to do when a kid swallows a pencil. Like, this is not something that you prepare for. So the doctors come in, and of course, in their minds, they're beginning to question, is this kid telling the truth, or did he say this just to kind of get out of school? And so, just to be on the safe side, they took an x-ray, and sure enough, they stuck it up in the, in the, in the little light, and the light's shining through, and you see my, my spine, you see my rib cage, and there is a pencil, <laughs> the size of a cigarette. And... They're sitting there, and they don't know what to do. Like, they are absolutely um, speechless. And so what they decided to do, there is a children's hospital on the other side of Atlanta. So they picked up the phone, and they called these experts over there. Uh, These people were pediatric gastrointestinal surgeons. And so they called them, and they explained the situation. They said, listen, here's what we're dealing with. What do you recommend? And after talking with these guys, they said, listen, you got two options, okay? You can either do, like, immediate surgery and get the pencil out of him right now, Or you can just wait and see what happens. Like, he swallowed an eraser first, and he's okay at this point. Like, nothing's happened yet. So those are your two options. And so uh, they talked, and they decided, let's just wait and see what happens. And so for the next week, I didn't have to go to school. Um, Had to make a million trips to the hospital. Um, Got a a million different x-rays done on on me. And we tracked the progress of the pencil as it just slowly worked its way around. And uh, eventually the day came when the pencil was no longer on the x-rays. And for those of you that need further explanation, I successfully passed the pencil. So um, life was back to normal for me. This crazy situation had finally ended. And when it was all over, my second grade teacher, this is kind of funny, she was actually, uh, she was working on her, you know, trying to get her master's. She ended up writing her master's thesis on this. And so she got it published. It was titled Down and Out in the Second Grade. And... um, (laughs) 
And listen, I know, I know that preachers many times have the reputation for exaggerating the truth and for telling false stories. Guys, I'm telling you right now, this is the God's honest truth. This is 100% accurate. The doctors, after everything was over, went up and joked with my parents. And no kidding. And they said it gave a whole new meaning to number two pencils. So <laughs> that's my crazy story. That's my situation of something that I was a part of that was unbelievable. So what's the point of the story? Like, I know that you didn't wake up this morning to hear about me swallowing a pencil. I know you woke up this morning to kind of hear God's word and to have something productive to go home with today. So what's the point of this story? The point of the story is we have all experienced something crazy in life that has caused you to say, you know, like, holy cow, what just happened? Like, did that really just take place? We've all been a part of moments in life that have been unbelievable. Yours might not have involved a pencil. Yours might have involved something else. You know, but we've all had those moments. And I, and I think that if we, you know, kind of had to be honest with each other, the, the truth is, even though they may be unbelievable, like in the truest sense of the word, like it is hard to believe that something like that happened, the truth is, if it happened, it happened. And so regardless of how unbelievable it is. If it happened, it happened. And guys, that's the first thing that I want us to start with this morning as we begin our time. In your handout, you've got an outline for today's sermon. And this is our very first point. This is the first thing that I want us to affirm today uh, before we jump into God's word. And it's this, it is possible to believe the unbelievable. It is possible to believe the unbelievable. And guys, this morning, we're going to talk about something that is genuinely hard to believe in our faith. This morning, we're going to take a look at something in Scripture that is just really difficult for people, Christians included, to really kind of wrap their mind around. There's a couple things in Scripture when you're reading through it, um, you know, like the virgin birth. This is a perfect example. People, just as they look at this objectively, they're like, man, that's just so hard to believe. Or like the talking donkey, you know, in the Old Testament. Like, you look at that and you're like, animals don't talk. What's going on? Like, there are times in Scripture when you're going through God's Word where you think, man, that is just so hard to believe. But the, the, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today and the topic that we're going to address, in my opinion, I think this is like the most difficult thing for people to really wrap their minds around and to really believe. This is something that a lot of people struggle with. And today, guys, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or just a few weeks before Easter, I felt like this would be a great thing for us to look at as we kind of approach this season together. So listen, if you have your Bible with you, let me invite you uh, to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, kind of right after uh, Romans, if you're flipping through your Bible. If you've got your um, Bible app on your phone or your tablet, you can just kind of scroll to the bottom. You'll see it in the New Testament down there. We're going to be in chapter 15 as we begin our time together. Uh, if you have your Bible app with you, you can go ahead and set your translation to the NIV. Uh, that way our versions match. Um, let me read our passage for us, and then we can begin discussing it. All right, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go through... Uh, Verse 22. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's a reference to them dying, by the way. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me. As to one abnormally born, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. But If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. All right, guys, we're going to break this thing down together. Uh, There is some awesome stuff in this passage, and I really want to kind of take some time to walk through some of this. Uh, But before we jump into our first part of this, I want you guys to write this down. This is the second point in your handout. The resurrection is central to the gospel. The resurrection is central to the gospel. All right, let's go ahead and look at verses 1 through 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Whether you rece- or which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Guys, what we're seeing right here in these verses is this. You cannot talk about the gospel without talking about the resurrection. Look at the words that Paul uses right here in verse 3. According to Paul, it is of first importance. It's not of second importance. It's not an afterthought. It's not an oh, by the way moment. It's not one of those things. No, Paul is saying right here that it is of first importance. This is the most important thing that you need to believe as it relates to the gospel. It is central. Without the resurrection, there would be no gospel. The gospel means good news. Guys, if we're, for example, if if we go out and we're talking with somebody and we only tell them that Jesus died for them, which is true, but if we only tell them that, like if that's where we stop with our story, we have shared an incomplete presentation of the gospel. We haven't even gotten to the good news yet. We've just shared with them that Jesus has died for them. And they're going to wonder, how in the world is this good news? Somebody's died because of me? Guys, let me me ask you, what, what if I came up to you and told you that as a result of something that you did yesterday, 
or something you did last week, some action you did or some thought you had or some words you said, that as a result of that, someone was murdered. Like, would you think that that's good news? Of course not. You'd sit back and be, you know, think to yourself, that's terrible news. Like somebody was murdered because of me. And guys, that's exactly uh, what's going on here. Guys, when we share the gospel with people, uh, we've got to tell them the whole story. We've got to help them understand that, yes, Jesus died for them. That's absolutely part of the story. But guys, listen, the resurrection is central to the whole thing. Like, he rose from the grave. They have to know that. They have to know that he defeated sin. They have to know that he was victorious over death. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verses 5 through 10. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Guys, right here in these verses, Paul is laying out his proof. He's trying to explain to them the importance of the resurrection, and he begins laying it out for them. And he's telling them, uh, listen, I recognize that, that you, know, you guys are not having a hard time believing that Jesus died for you. No one in the church of Corinth is disputing that. They all know that Jesus died. But there's clearly an issue here that some people are not sure whether or not he actually rose from the grave. And so he's telling them, listen, you don't have to take my word for it. Okay? Sounds like something out of Reading Rainbow, right? So you don't have to take my word for it. Other people saw him as well. It wasn't just me that saw him uh, after he rose from the grave. Cephas saw him too, which is another name for Peter, by the way. The disciples saw him. More than 500 brothers and sisters saw him. And Jesus' half-brother James saw him too. And guys, listen, this, this list right here is significant, okay? He didn't just list these people just to take up space in Scripture, okay? Like, he gave this list on purpose because he wanted to communicate something to them. So let me, let me break this down. Let me help you understand why this group of people right here is significant. Um, he knows first that the church in Corinth really respects the disciples, So where does he start? He starts with Peter and the disciples. And he tells them, guys, listen, if these people believe in the resurrection, people who you respect, people who you look up to, people who you trust, then, man, you absolutely need to believe it as well. The disciples believe in the resurrection. So he points to them really just to kind of have some respectable people on his side of the argument. Then he points to this large group of people, over 500 brothers and sisters saw him at the exact same time. And, and by pointing to such a large group of witnesses, what he's saying here, he's, he's really just hoping that just the, the sheer number of the witnesses would be convincing, that it would persuade some of these people to get off the fence and actually believe in the resurrection. Like, there's no way that you're going to convince 500 people to all be in on a lie together. Like, there's just no way you're going to be able to do that. It's not like they're lying about a surprise birthday party, okay? Like, they're lying, if they're lying, they're lying about something that's serious and causing them to be murdered. So, like, no one's going to lie about that. So, he's telling them, listen, there are 500 people who have seen this. And most of them, by the way, are still alive. And you know they're not going to lie about it because they're dying for it. They're telling people that this is what they saw and they're being killed for it. So there's no way that this large group of people is going to, is going to continue some sort of story like this if it's causing them to be murdered. 
Then by mentioning James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, like this is a slam dunk. You don't have to turn here, uh, but in John chapter 7, uh, we actually see that James was not even a believer at first. Like we're talking the half-brother of Jesus didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was in John chapter 7. That's what we see. And we actually don't even see James become a believer until after the resurrection. And so what Paul is saying right here is, listen, you don't believe me? You don't believe the 500 witnesses? Why don't you go ask James? Because you know he used to be an unbeliever. You know that he, there was a time in his life when he didn't even think that Jesus was who he said he was. But he believes now because he saw his brother alive again. And then finally, he appeals to himself. And he says, guys, listen, you know what I used to do. I used to persecute the church. I used to be a Christian killer. I used to go around, I found you guys, and I would put you to death. And God got a hold of me and changed me. And now I am on your team and I am telling you the truth. Like, this is what happened. Jesus rose from the grave. And you need to believe it just because I'm telling you as well. All right, third point. If the resurrection did not happen, then our faith is useless and we are still in our sins. If the resurrection did not happen, then our faith is useless and we are still in our sins. All right, let's take a look at verse 11 through 19. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that. We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile or worthless. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. Look at the question he asks them in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? In other words, guys, if we're telling you that this is what happened, how are you saying that it didn't happen? How, how are you not going to believe this? And then he begins to unpack this argument, showing them the problem with questioning the resurrection. Uh, and has anybody ever played with dominoes before? You know how like you knock down that first domino and like a million of them fall down after it? There's some amazing YouTube videos of this uh, where people have set up like a billion dominoes and they knock down one and like the whole house just begins to fall. And it's unreal. And so, guys, this is what, this is what he's saying right here. He's, he's like, listen, this is, this is serious. I want you guys to see what happens when you don't believe the resurrection of the first domino falls. And there is a chain reaction of what takes place as a result of you not believing in the resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, verse 13, then that means that Christ wasn't raised from the dead. Verse 14, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Verse 15, that means that we are liars because we're telling people that it happened. Verse 16, because again, if the dead can't be raised, that includes Christ as well. 
And he continues, if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith is worthless. That's verse 17. Verse 18, the people who have already died are lost. And then he caps it off with verse 19. And this is a huge statement right here. He's basically saying, listen, if if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we don't have hope for eternity. We only have hope for this life. And if that's the case, if we only have hope for this life, then of all people, we should be pitied the most. Guys, simply put, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then everything that we do as believers is a joke. It's complete waste. The songs we sing, the sermons we preach, the Bible studies we go to, the buildings we build, the mission trips we go on, the money we give to various ministries, the sins we avoid, our evangelism efforts, the time we spend serving the church, the prayers we pray, even our faith. It's all complete garbage if Christ did not rise from the dead. And why is that? Because if the resurrection didn't happen, then we've wasted our entire lives believing a lie. Guys, we'd be better off just to go and do whatever we want to do. We'd be better off just participating in whatever sin we wanted to be a part of. Like, at least that way we could enjoy some stuff in this life that we would, you know, might otherwise avoid. It's kind of like when you watch the local news, which... Uh, I try not to do because I think the local news is stupid most of the time. And, uh, but it's kind of like when you watch the local news and you see a story about someone being arrested for stealing $60 from a local gas station. And you think, really? Like $60? Like you were willing to pull out a gun on somebody and go to jail over $60. Like what in the world is wrong with you? Like I don't know about you guys, um, but if I'm going to steal something, like, I'm going to go big. I'm going to make it worth my time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to take out, like, the downtown branch of a big bank. Or I'm going to follow an armored vehicle till they make their next stop. And I'm going to take those guys out, and I'm going to get, like, a million dollars. I'm going to make it worth my time. I'm not going to just walk away with $60. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm going to go to jail for stealing, the punishment is going to fit the crime. And that's what Paul is saying right here in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are most to be pitied. In other words, if the resurrection didn't happen, then God's wrath has not been satisfied. And we're all going to go to hell anyway to pay for our sins when we die. Because no sacrifice has been made on our behalf that can satisfy the wrath of God. That's what he's saying. Like, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then God's wrath has not been satisfied. Because we're like the person that, that robs a gas station for $60, and the rest of the world is like the person that robs the downtown bank and gets a million. In the end, we both have been the, end up in the same place. We both end up in jail. In the same way, guys, if the resurrection didn't happen, then why are we wasting any time with Christianity? Like, we might as well go and enjoy life and sin all we want. And then, when we die and go to hell to pay for our sins, we can at least say that we earned the punishment. Man, I really lived it up when I was on earth. Like, I earned every bit of this. I did every wrong thing I could think of, and I've earned it. At least then we could say that. But guys, here's the good news. We don't have to do that. Why is that? Because Christ has been raised from the dead. And this is your fourth point. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead which means that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, which means that we can be forgiven 
and have eternal life. Look at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Uh, Did you guys see the comparison that was made right there between Adam and Christ? Look at verse 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What he's saying right here is, listen, where Adam screwed up, Jesus made it it right. Where Adam screwed up, Jesus fixed it. Uh, This is the same thing that's being explained in Romans chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. This is Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, that's referring to Adam, right? Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as though, or just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. So guys, what are we seeing right here? Adam brought death to this world. Jesus brings life. All right, guys, listen. As we begin to to wrap up our time together this morning, uh, I do want to explain a few things that I've noticed uh, just over the last couple of years. Uh, It's March 6th. Uh, We are three weeks away from Easter. And I want you guys just to begin to pay attention to what the media begins to throw in your face over the next few weeks. Um, Every year, there's some major network like the History Channel, or there's some major news organization that comes out with some new religious findings that they want to share at this time of the year. And uh, without fail, guys, it's always the exact same story. Uh, They try to tell you that they've figured out something from the Bible that's never been figured out before. Oh, look at us. We've got some new amazing stuff that we want to share with you about God's Word. And, And they have some new theory that they want to tell us about. And they'll say it like this. I'll say, for those people during the days of Moses, they thought that what they were witnessing or experiencing was a miracle. But the human race has advanced in our knowledge over the last thousand, you know, thousands of years. And so what they thought was a miracle, we can now explain through science. And don't mishear me, guys. Like, I'm not bashing science, okay? I, I love science. I think science is great. And, and by the way, I don't think that science has to be an enemy of our faith, okay? Like, God is sovereign over all things. That includes science. And so I'm not afraid when some new scientific theory comes out, okay? Like, we should understand that all truth is God's truth. And so when some new scientific theory is explained or some new scientific finding comes out, like, that shouldn't, that shouldn't cause us to fear. Um, as believers, we know that our God is in control of all things, um, but guys, there's something else going on right here. Here's what they're trying to accomplish with these, with these things that they do from the History Channel and the news organizations and all that. Here's what they're trying to accomplish. They want you to believe that behind every miracle is some sort of simple, natural, logical, rational, scientific explanation for what took place. They want you to have your mind trained to think this way. And guys, listen, if you're not careful, you're going to fall for their trap. Guys, if they're successful at getting you to believe this, then they've got you right where they want you. Because at the end of the day, there is no simple, rational, logical, natural, or scientific explanation for the resurrection. There just isn't, okay? It was a miracle. 
It was by the power of God that Christ rose from the grave. And they know that if they can get you to believe that every miracle has some scientific explanation behind it, that at the end of the day, you won't be able to believe the resurrection and your faith will fall apart. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't really care what new theory comes out from the History Channel this year. Like, all I really care about is what God's Word has to say. And God's Word says that the tomb is empty. Guys, this is why we, we meet on Sundays. And you guys know this. If you flip back to Exodus 20 and you read through the Ten Commandments, you see that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath holy. You guys know that the Sabbath is Saturday, right? So why didn't we meet yesterday? What happened? Did we, did we mess up? Did we get our calendar wrong? Like, why do we meet on Sundays every single week? It's because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And the early church, when that happened, they moved the day from Saturday to Sunday so that every time they gathered for worship on a Sunday, it would be a weekly reminder that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. It was a reminder of the truth of the resurrection. And guys, listen, that should get you excited. Listen, if you're, if you're in this room right now and, and you don't believe this stuff, first, let me just tell you guys, we, we are super glad you're here, okay? Uh, this is exactly where you need to be. Uh, and statistically speaking, in a room this size, we do have people in this room who don't believe this stuff. If you haven't heard anything I've said this morning, uh, please hear this, all right? Every single one of us in this room is a sinner. Me, you, every single person. Pastor Scott, like every single person in this room has sinned. And guys, without help from God, we would owe the penalty for our sin. And and God's word explains that the penalty for sin is death. And not just physical death, but spiritual death as well. Like we all know that physical death is coming, but guys, it talks about spiritual death. And because God loves us, he provided a way for us to be forgiven and to be saved. He sent his one and only son to be our sacrifice And Jesus lived a perfect life in complete obedience to his heavenly father. He did nothing wrong and he died on the cross in our place. It was a death that we deserved to die. And since he lived a perfect life, he didn't have to die that death. Like the death was not like deserved. He didn't deserve that. He deserved nothing. But as a result of living a perfect life, his death ended up being the perfect sacrifice. And it completely satisfied the wrath of God. And how do we know that? Because he rose from the grave. Listen to me right here, okay? Listen, listen, like very carefully right here. If he would have stayed dead, it would mean that he's still paying the price. It would mean that he's still satisfying the wrath of God because the penalty for sin was death. So if he would have stayed dead, it would mean that he's still paying the price. But since he rose from the grave, that is the proof that we can point to and say that that God's wrath has been satisfied. The payment has been made in full. And how do we know? Because he rose from the grave. So how does somebody receive forgiveness? How does somebody receive salvation? Listen to the words of Romans 10. This is verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And just a few verses later in verse 13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
So guys, listen, my encouragement to you today is this. If you're in this room and you've never done that, if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, don't leave this place today without talking to somebody about that. We're not going to twist your arm. We're not going to force you to make a decision that you don't want to make. Man, we'd love the opportunity to at least start the conversations with you, to begin asking uh, questions back and forth, begin just talking about the importance of this passage and this truth and what Jesus Christ has done for you. And guys, listen, if you're in this room and you're a believer, um, I just hope that today that the message of the resurrection, just understanding the truth that your Savior rose from the grave, is just a huge encouragement to you as you leave today. Like, the God you serve has power over life and death. Your Savior rose from the grave and satisfied a payment that you would never be able to satisfy. And if you're already a believer, and, and if that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know anything that will. That alone should cause you to worship today. Well, listen, I appreciate the time that you guys have given me to stand before you and share God's word. Uh, Troy and the band, they're going to come and they're going to lead us in song. Uh, I appreciate um, the opportunity. And uh, listen, if you want to talk with somebody more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, um, if you have questions about what we've talked about today, please come and find me. Come and find Troy, come and find Scott or Larry or anybody. Come and find somebody. Let's talk. Let's get the conversation started. And, uh, and let's, let's see if we can begin to think through some difficult stuff. Thank you guys again uh, for the opportunity uh, to, to stand before you and share God's word. Let's stand and sing.